Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much, Jill. Um, thank you so much for coming. Uh, thank you for being here. We're also thankful for all the people that have the flu and they stayed home. Thankful for them as well. I know it's uh, kind of crazy right now with all the sicknesses going on. We're just thankful that you're here and we're blessed that you're here. It is so important. Hopefully you've made a commitment, you know, starting in January that, that you're going to take church maybe more uh, seriously, maybe come more consistently because Satan's greatest um, tool that he has is distraction. And there's a lot of times in our life that we get distracted, we get busy, we get uh, doing our own thing, and next thing we know, we're not coming to church, we're not participating in things of, uh, the, of God, and, and we just get lost on our path. So thank you so much for being here. We're uh, excited that you're here. This morning, um, I just want to share with something. If I could had an opportunity to sit down with you in a room, just you and I, and had an opportunity to share something that's very important, something that, that I hard is missing in church, today's that day. I just want to share something. That it's, it's going to be hard. It's going to be maybe hurtful. But I want to tell you something out of love. So this morning, as we walk through the Gospels, it seems like Jesus has a constant message in it. Not only is he telling us about who he is and what the plan of salvation is and about his Heavenly Father, he, he does that. But also he, he'll turn around quickly and he'll say, now that I've kind of told you who I am, who do you think I am? And it seems like it's always, all, it's, it's through the Gospels, every one of them, it seems like Jesus kind of turns a question around and says, now that I have taught all these things, really, who do you think I am? This morning, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're going to pick out four statements, how we say Jesus is, how we define Jesus. And then we're going to turn around and we're going to see how Jesus defines himself. See if you can finish this statement. Actions speak louder than... All right, do you believe that? We, we get married. It's so easy to say, I do, right? It's really hard to keep that going. It's easy to stand on the platform and say, I do, but when times get tough and, and challenges come, come, that's when it gets difficult. It is really easy to accept Jesus Christ as your sins here. He makes it very simple. All you've got to do is believe in him. Believe that he died on the cross to pay for our sins. Believe that he uh, rose from the dead. Believe that he's in heaven right now. Believe, believe in that. That's easy. The hard part comes when life hits. It's easy to, to say it with our words, it's harder to live it out with our actions. If I say I love my wife, but I mistreat her, if I don't spend time with her, if I'm cruel to her, eventually what happens to those words? They crumble away. She won't believe it. If you're an employee, I, I, there's a lot of you guys here that have a business. It, it seems like now today, people want to get a paycheck. They don't want to work for it, right? They want to be an employee, they want to get paid, but they don't want to work. They say it with their words, I want to be employed, but by their actions, they show that they probably need to be fired because they don't want to work hard. Or at school, you say, I'm going to be a good student, school's important for me, but you decide not to go to class or you decide not to study for a test, you can say all you want, but if your actions don't back it up, it really doesn't matter. It seems like there's... Jesus, if he sat down with you, it seems like he would pinpoint something in your life and he would say this, stop talking about it, I want you to live it. Through the New Testament alone, there's over 60 verses 
that tells and teaches us that actions are a little bit more important than words. So if Jesus sat down with you, he'd probably kind of confront you and say, I'm glad that you say you love me, but are you showing that you love me? We're going to start off in the book of Mark. And, tonight, and today, as, as we talk about it, I, I, listen, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I love you, and I love you so much that I really wrestled around with talking about this. But I love you so much that I want us to be a church that is obedient to the Lord. So this morning, as we walk through it, I just want you to be receptive. See what the Lord's going to teach you through it. Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 35. It says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Now, I want to kind of paint the picture of what's going on here. Jesus has been teaching and preaching and going through a lot of parables to a bunch of people. And the crowd started to grow. And it got so big that, that Jesus kept on backing up and backing up. And the Sea of Galilee's behind him. And he got to the point where I can't accommodate all these people. So we're going to get in a boat. We're going to go off into the water so I can better communicate. And he's teaching and preaching. And Jesus gets to the time where he says, okay, now it's time for us to finish here. We need to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee because I got something else to do. Y'all remember the story when uh, uh, the man possessed comes to Jesus and Jesus cast out the demons into the pigs? Y'all remember that story? Okay, there's a guy on the other side of the Sea of Galilee that he needed to get to. So Jesus says, okay, we're done right here teaching. We're going to go to the other side. And it says that the disciples put him in the boat just as he was. Just as he was. There's a sermon right there, just as he was. What was Jesus' trade? Do y'all remember what his trade was? As a carpenter. Was he a sailor? Probably didn't know anything about sailing. Gets on the boat. He said, we'll just take you as you are. You don't, I know you don't have any clothing. I know you don't have a cloak on you. On you. you don't have your bags. We're just going to take you as you are. You want to go to the other side? We're going to get you there. So they get on the boat and they start sailing. Verse 37. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in a stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, now picture this. Jesus is on the boat, and they start to sail off, and they set the sails, and Jesus looks around, and he goes to the one place that's very important of, of those on, that know um, ships and boats. He goes to the pilot seat. He goes to the back of the boat where the pilot sits, where he steers the boat. He goes back there, and as he's there, he falls asleep because he's exhausted from teaching and preaching. A hurricane comes in all over the sea, and a huge wind is coming, and the, and the waves are rocking. And it says that the boat was almost swamped. Now, get this picture that the, the waves crashing onto the boat, and the, the, boat, the, the boat is taken on water. So what do you do if you're in the boat and it's taken on water? You start shoveling it out, right? Like picture the disciples on the boat, and they're bailing out as quick as they can, but more water is coming on. And next thing you know, more water is coming on than what they are throwing out. And it's just a chaotic situation. It's crazy. Wind's blowing. Water's coming in. Waves are crashing. They had to pull down the sails because it was breaking. And they just were stuck in the middle of the Sea of Galilee during the storm. And they turn around, and there's our pilot sitting in the back of the boat. There's Jesus. During the storm, the joker is sleeping. He is knocked out. 
During the whole storm, he, he doesn't know what's going on. He's sleeping through the whole thing. Like picture the disciples going, we're doing everything we can and there's Jesus sleeping. I mean, we could use, grab a bucket or something, do something, help us get the water out of the boat. And there he is sleeping. Verse 39. Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, be quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still not have faith? Like here's Jesus sleeping during the storm and, and they go, okay, we've done everything that we can, Jesus. Just wake up Jesus. Let's wake up this carpenter to see what he can do for us. Wake up the teacher. Teacher, can't you do something? Like, can you picture, can you sense the concern? They look at Jesus and says, do you care if we drown? I mean, we're trying the best we can and, and it won't stop. More water's coming on the boat. Obviously, Jesus, you don't care if we drown. I mean, you're sleeping through the whole thing. You don't care. Jesus gets up. This is one of the greatest miracles, I think. He gets up and looks at the storm. And just with his words, he says, wind, stop. Stop right now. And the wind stopped. That's a miracle. I think something that's cooler is that he looks at the water. Y'all seen water? You've been at the ocean where the waves come into the, the beach and then it kind of resides. It kind of just keeps going back and forth. If you drop something in the water, it has ripples and it just keeps going. Jesus looks at the water and says, water, stop. And it stopped. It didn't wave around. It stopped. Now, the disciples were really scared during this storm. There's Jesus sleeping where the pilot seat was. I mean, he could have been steering. He could have been getting a bucket and throw out water, but he was asleep. He stands up and he calms everything. Verse 41 says this, Then they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obeyed. They were scared during the storm, but then Jesus gets up and calms everything, and then it says the disciples were now terrified. Not that they were scared of Jesus. This is what it means. They, they were in awe of him. They were in awe of him. They're like, wow. Even, even the wind stops when he says it. When the waves are crashing, we, we've seen it. We've seen the waves crash. Even the waves said, okay, I'll do it. You tell me to stop, I'll stop. They were in awe of him. Sometimes in our life, our actions speak much louder than our words. That when we're in the middle of a storm in a high crisis area in our life, when there's tension in our life, this is what we say by our actions. Jesus is just unconcerned. That's what we say by our actions. Like when you're in the middle of the storm and you've been praying and you've been praying and you've been praying, you say, I've been praying and he hasn't answered me. Where's he at? It's kind of silent. I've been asking him to intervene, and I've been asking him to intervene, and he's kind of quiet. Where's he at? So what you say by your actions is that he's just unconcerned. He's unconcerned about me. Because obviously he should steer us out of the storm. Obviously he should help us get out of the storm, but he doesn't. What's he doing? I, I love the passage that Joel talked about. It says, though we walk through the valley of shadow of death, notice it doesn't say run. 
Sometimes we need to walk through a trial. Sometimes we need to walk through an issue. Sometimes we need to wrestle with something. Why does Jesus do that? To develop us, to grow us, to strengthen us. He's not being cruel by sending the disciples out into the storm. No, he wanted to teach them. Why did he want to teach them? Because he loved them. By our actions, we say that he's unconcerned about us. We don't really believe him. Where's he at? Why is he not moving? Why is he not showing up? That our awe quickly turns into disappointment. That we're all of Jesus, but our heart says we're disappointed because he doesn't move when we want him to move. Jesus' response to that, I'm capable. You call me unconcerned, but I'm capable. That during the storm, Jesus was right there in the middle of it. I was with you during the storm. He looks at him and says, guys, what are you afraid of? You're battling something today. I've been here 20 years. I I, I know um, a lot about our church. I know a lot about um, our, our people. Some of you are battling something. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's a failed marriage. Maybe it's a health crisis. You're battling something. And I know you've been praying about it for months and years. And in your heart, you're going, Jesus, where are you? I mean, I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying. I'm trying to be faithful. I've been praying, where are you? You're just quiet. And in your heart, you come to a point where you think, I'm just disappointed. That I know Jesus can, but he's not doing it right now. We say, Jesus... You're just unconcerned about me. While Jesus says, listen, I'm capable. I'm with you. I'm going to walk with you. I am the truth, and I'm the life, and I'm the way. You want a way out? It's Jesus. You want to have truth in your life? It's Jesus. You want to have true life today? You want to have pure joy today in your situation? It's Jesus. Then we get to Matthew. Jesus is walking along. Jesus was a master communicator. And wherever Jesus was, he would use the location. He would use parables that they would understand uh, what he's trying to teach. And we get to Matthew, and there's an opportunity where Jesus is walking through with his disciples. In verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he said to his disciples, What do people say the man, son of man is? Who who do they say that I am? Now, I think it's important because Jesus is walking along, and I have a picture of it, this Caesar Philippi. He's walking along this region, and it's a beautiful piece of property. And it's a huge rock. And out of this rock are these caves. And before this major earthquake, out of these caves flowed water. And out of these caves were steam. Out of a pool that, that at that time in the region they would go about this rock and they would go, Wow, there's water coming out of a rock. There's steam coming out from the rock. That, this must be the gate of Hades. This must be where hell is. And because of that, you see these little things right here? They start making all these, idol, these little temples 
for these idols, for these pagan gods. So around this whole mountain area was a bunch of pagan gods. So Jesus is walking along. And he sees all these people worshiping these false gods. And he tells his disciples, he says, guys, listen, all these people around, who do they say that I am? Who who do these people who are worshiping these fake fake gods say that I am? Verse 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. What, What they're saying is that Jesus, it's more believable that you're a person that came back to life, it's more believable that you're a ghost than you are the Son of God. That's what the people around here are saying about you. Jesus turns around in verse 15 and point blank looks at him and says, all right, well, how about y'all? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter looks at him and says, you are the one that's going to rescue. You're the one that's going to pay for the penalty of our sins. You, you are the, the chosen one. You are the son of the living God because all these other gods around here that people are worshiping, that they're false gods and they're dead. You are the son of the living God. You have the power and authority over life and death. That's who you are. Verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Can you go back to the picture of the rock? Jesus is walking around and he's teaching and he's preaching. Remember these caves I told you about? It flowed water, it flowed steam. And all these false gods and false temples, people are walking around and they said, oh, these are the gates of hell right here. And he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, you know what your name is? Your name is Petrus. You know what Petrus is? Petrus is these little rocks. These little rocks around here. Peter, you're a rock. You're going to play a big part in building my church. But let me tell you, Peter, I'm the big rock. Where he says, on this rock, he's referring to himself. That's right here. That's a big rock. So he's looking at Peter says, hey, just like this big rock right here, that's, that's, that's going to be the foundation of my church. The foundation of the church is going to be me. It's going to be me. Why is that so important? Why is that so important for Jesus to give that visual? Why is it important that Jesus chooses to teach this lesson around all these temples and fake pagan gods? Because of this. A lot of times in our life, by our actions, this is how we define Jesus. We look at Jesus and say, Jesus, you're an option. You're an option. I mean, we have all these other little G's. If you look through Scripture and you read Scripture and you see big G-O-D, big capital G, that's talking about the one true God. If you see the little G's, that's talking about idols. We have a lot of little G's in our life. We have all these things that we worship. Income, job, popularity, Instagram, Facebook, 401K, your health, your family. For me growing up, it was sports. Sports was my God. 
I did what sports told me to do. I went where sports told me to go. I obeyed sports. Sports was my God, little G. All of us have these little Gs in our life. And we look at them when we serve them. We, we spend money on them when we go where they tell us to go and we're obedient to those little Gs. And it seems like over the course of time, Jesus becomes more of an option in our life. Jesus turns around and says, no, that's not the way I designed it. You see, I'm the rock. I have stability. I have strength. I'm not going anywhere. Jesus responds to our uh, actions by saying he's an option. He responds to it and says, no, listen, I'm the one and only. I'm the one and only. It would be so much easier if Jesus came to our life and he said, I'm going to force myself on you. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be obedient to me. It would be a lot easier if he did that. But that's not love. Love is that he steps in and says, listen, I want you to follow me. I, I want to bless you. I want to grow you. I want to stretch you. I want to develop you. You are my workmanship. Let me work on you. I want to do that because I want you to have a blessed life. But if you don't want to, that's fine. That's your choice. I'm not going to force myself on you. If you choose a little G, listen, if you choose a little G in your life, that is your choice. But when life starts to crumble, don't blame God. Because it was your decision to follow that little G. Is Jesus an option? Is he just an option to you? Or is he the one and only? Then we get to Luke. It's coming down towards the end of Jesus' life. Major thing is happening. He just got arrested. And in verse 54 of Luke 22, it says this, Then seizing him. They led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. When some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, he sat down together. Peter sat down with them. Verse 56, servant girls saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another one asserted, certainly this fellow is with him. He is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he is speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word that the Lord has spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. This is what we say by our actions. This is what we say. During times of trouble, times of stress, times that we have opportunities to reflect him to our coworkers, our family, to people at the restaurant, we have opportunities to show God's grace and love. This is what we say by our actions. Jesus, you're insufficient. You're insufficient. And we're ashamed. You say, you can, you, you can sit here and you can say, I love Jesus, but if you go to a restaurant and cuss out the person who took your order and got your order wrong, something is wrong. 
Jesus says this way, either I want you to be hot or cold. You hear that? I want you to be hot, I want you to be with me, or I'd rather for you to be totally away from me. This whole in and out, Scripture says, man, it's making me sick. You're making me sick, this whole in and out stuff. Listen, listen to this. I would rather for you to be totally against me. I would rather for you to do that. Now, it seems kind of crazy that Jesus would say that, but I think he's saying this. I got something to work with then. I'd rather for you to be so disobedient toward me, then I got something to work with. This whole thing that you're with me, against me, for me, over here, is making me sick to my stomach. Students, you got a chance, if you want to, you could bring your Bible to, to school. And you could read it at school during some downtime. But I know some of you don't want to do that because you're ashamed. What are people going to say? Some of you work. You have an opportunity when you sit down with lunch with coworkers. You have the opportunity to ask a blessing. But you're not. And you don't. Why? Because you're scared. You're ashamed. Some of us have opportunities that God leads us to pray for somebody. We decide not to do it because we think, well, what are they going to say about me? I'm ashamed. And we quickly become defining Jesus as just, just kind of insufficient. And Jesus turns around and he looks straight at Peter. For years I thought that, I, I read that and I thought, he looked at Peter and it was like one of these. Mm-mm-mm. I'm so disappointed. But I think what he listened by with, with the look that he was communicating with Peter is this. Listen, buddy, I'm in control. Peter, I told you what you would do when you would do it. I told you about it. I, I communicated. I told you. I knew what you were going to do. Peter, I'm in control. I'm in control right now when they have my hands bound. I'm in control when they lead me to the cross. I'm in control when they nail me to the cross. I'm in control when I give up my life because I'm the only one that can. I'm in control. Do we believe that he is in control of everything? Do you believe that when, when, wherever you decide to go to eat today, that Jesus is already there? That Jesus already knows where you're going to go eat today for lunch? Do you know that he knows who's going to be in that restaurant? Do you know that he knows who's going to take your order? Do you know who's, he already knows the waiter and waitress's name. Do you know that? Do you know that he knows where you work? Do you know that he knows your coworkers? Do you know that he, when you go to Publix today to go shopping, do you know that he already knows who you're going to come in contact with? How do I know that? Because he's in control. If I truly believe that God is in control and I see somebody that comes up to me or takes my order or I go to the gas station and they're in the pump beside me, if I truly believe that God is in control, then I know that God put that person there for a reason. Now, that doesn't mean I'm pumping gas and I'm giving the, the plan of salvation. But it does mean if I'm pumping gas and there's an interaction, I can be kind. I can show love. I can be merciful. When somebody cuts me off, if I believe that God is in control, then, then that didn't surprise God that that person cut me off on the road. But I can show mercy. Many times in our life, our actions don't back up our words. 
Is Jesus sufficient for you? Are you ashamed of him? Do you believe that he's in control? Then we get to the last gospel, Gospel of John. Jesus is hanging out with his disciples for the last time. And if Jesus was, if you knew that you only had hours to live and you called your children into the, the room, I'm, I'm telling you, if, if that happens to me, I, I love sports, but I'm not going to talk about the Falcons. I'm not going to talk about who the Braves just signed in free agency. I'm not going to talk about investing and income. I'm not going to talk about that stuff. I'm going to talk about this, what's really important. So here's an opportunity where Jesus has just a few hours left on earth and he has a time to sit down with his disciples to teach them one more lesson. Verse 5 says, After that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel they had wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No said Peter. You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. And listen to what Peter, Peter was so loved Jesus so much, this is what he says. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, don't just wash my feet, wash my hands and head as well. I, I want to be so in with you. Jesus answered, those who have a bath need only to wash their feet for their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone is clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, he returned to his place. He said, do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than the master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Er, now picture the, the scene. Few hours left on the earth. Few hours left with his disciples. And he's thinking, man, I, I want to teach them a lesson. I want to teach them something that's very important. Jesus walks around, takes out of his office outer garments, and bends down and begins washing the nasty feet. Do y'all know how nasty their feet were? I mean, they walked around with sandals where animals would use the restroom and they had mud and all that. Kind of, it was nasty. He humbled himself to do that. Now, can you picture Jesus bending down and he's washing your feet and he stands up and he says, listen, guys, I, I just want to teach you a lesson. No servant is greater than the master. No messenger is greater than the one who sent him. I want you to do the same thing that I just did. I just set an example for you. Now, he's not saying we should go around and wash people's feet. What he's saying is that we need to go around and serve people. That's what he was teaching them. But what we say by our actions, we hear the words, but what we say by our actions is this. Jesus, you're not worthy to follow. And here's a harder statement. By our actions, you say, well, I'm better than Jesus. Can, can I tell you something? Listen to this. If you're not serving, if you're not serving, you're being disobedient. If you're not serving somebody or involved in something, serving people, 
What you're saying is, Jesus, I'm better than you are. I'm better than you. Can you imagine Jesus washing the disciples' feet and he stands up and he says, guys, listen, I just set an example for you. I want you to serve other people. And Peter goes, thank you for washing my feet, but I don't have time to serve anybody. I mean, my plate's full. I got, I got other things I got to do. I've done my time. I've served. I've been busy with you the past three years. I, I, I've, I've, I've done my part. Can you imagine that happening? Can you imagine Jesus standing up and they say, Jesus, thanks for doing that, but I got other things to do. I don't have the ability. I don't have the time. I don't have the talent. Can you imagine happening that, that, that happening? But it seems like that's what we do. That Jesus has set an example for us to serve. And we throw excuses. I can't. I'm not worthy. I don't have talent. I don't have time. I'm busy. I've done my part. If that's your attitude, if that's, if that's how you feel, this is what you're saying to Jesus. Jesus, you're not worthy to follow. You're not, and I'm better than you are. But Jesus turns, and he says this by his teaching. He says, listen, guys, I'm your example. I want you to humbly serve. I want you to follow me. I want you to serve people. And he says, if you do it, what's the promise? That you'll be blessed. If you do it, you'll be blessed if you do it. You can choose not to. But if you choose not to, you're being disobedient. That's the mission I gave you. And if you do it, you'll be blessed. I don't think... If we serve in nursery, he's going to give us $100. I don't believe that will happen. It'd be great if he did. Now we got a lot more nursery workers lining up. But I think what he says by being blessed is that we're aligning ourselves with what's important to him. When we align ourselves with what's important to him and his mission, there's a blessing. You see, church, we don't need five greeters. We need 50 greeters. We don't need one person in the parking lot. We need 10 people in the parking lot. We don't need the same 12 people serving in nursery. We need 100 people serving in the nursery. We don't need one person serving coffee Sunday morning. We need three people serving coffee Sunday morning. There's an opportunity for us, and it's before you right now. God is in control. If we believe that Jesus is in control, then he has you here for a reason. And he says, now that you're here, I want you to start doing something. I want you to serve each other. You know, all this is our choice. Again, it seemed like it would be easier if Jesus just forced himself on us. But he doesn't. Because of that, some of our actions show this. Jesus, you're unconcerned. You don't really care what I'm going through because you've been distant and silent. Jesus, you're just an option because I have all these hobbies I want to do. You got this work in my family, all these other gods in my life. You're just an option. Jesus, 
Thank you for putting me at work, but I'm ashamed to open a Bible. I'm ashamed to pray at school lunch. I'm ashamed when you lead me to pray for somebody, to pray for them, because what would they say? That you're insufficient. That I'm embarrassed. Or we say, Jesus, you're just not worthy to follow. Thank you for setting an example, but I'm not going to follow it. I'm convinced that if we have a church full of people that says this, Jesus, you're capable. You're capable to handle the situation I'm going through. Jesus, you're the one and only God that I want to serve and follow. Jesus, I understand that you're in control and you have me where I am for a purpose. Jesus, I'm going to humbly serve. If you had that in your life, I promise you something. That gets his attention. And he goes, ooh, I want to watch that. That's obedience. That's a blessing. He can use that. I love you guys. I, I love our church. I love how we stick to his word. I love how we impact our community. But can, can I tell you something? There's so many more in our community that are dying and going to hell. There's more people in our community that don't know Jesus than people who do know Jesus. We have an opportunity to impact this world for him. For you, maybe the impact is today at lunch. God already knows where you're going. He already knows who's going to serve you. Maybe your impact is to be kind and to be respectful, to be loving. Some of you are going to go home and before you get home, you're going to get in an argument with your spouse. Here's an opportunity to show love, grace, and mercy. Though we love those things that God shows us and gives us, we're very stingy in giving it back. There's an opportunity. God wants to do something amazing through you. God has a plan for you. He wants to bless you. He wants to develop you. He wants to grow you. He wants to work with you. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. Let's pray.